Most are afraid of unknown depths, skirting shores thinking world flat. And with the island girls in celebration of new religion. Nobody led me or said this way. I sailed alone on makeshift raft with wind as companion. Fate for deliverance, confidence enough to assess new disposition. Seekers of lost paradise may seem fools to those who never sought the other world. Welcome to Momentary Zen with Zen Garcia. Visit www.fallenangels.tv. You're listening to Revolution Radio. Hello and welcome everybody. I'm your host for tonight, Justin James Garcia, and I'm joined by author and researcher, Brother Gary Wayne, to continue our series on the Ask Me Anything. Uh, this is our episode 42, so it is an awesome time where we get to join together with everyone in the chat over there at youtube.com slash Garcia. Monitoring the chat, we're taking questions, we're adding them to a list, and then we're presenting them straight to Brother Gary. So we're really excited uh, to continue this series. There's always such fantastic questions, and of course we are so greatly appreciative, Brother Gary, uh, to the most high that he has revealed so many things to you and, and led you on so many awesome paths and uh, rabbit holes that you could show us the way, light, light the way, and introduce us to some things that uh, we haven't ever considered before and put together some puzzle pieces that you know we, we might have in our bag but haven't really realized how they fit together. So it's always an exciting time to join together with you. And as you saw over on the live stream at the beginning of the video, we did play our conference trailer. That is going to be an exciting time as well. You can get your early bird tickets now for the Sacred Road Reveal 2023 conference that's happening in Atlanta, Georgia on May 26th through 28th. That's just five months away. I can't believe it's that soon. And of course, Brother Gary is going to be there. We're so excited. Our other speakers are going to be Zen Garcia, uh, Sheila and Jeremiah Skiba, the uh, wife and son of Brother Rob Skiba who passed uh, over a year ago now. Of course, Brother Gary Wayne, Dr. Joy Pugh, Diane Cover, Nathan Reynolds, Zach Mason, myself, Noel J. Hadley, and Bretley Thomas. Looking forward to that time, a weekend of fellowship, and uh, the the branding is that we're join, joining together to uncover esoteric controversies. That's going to be an interesting one, so definitely looking forward to it, and I uh, want to go ahead and bring on Bretley Gary. How are you doing, sir? How how was your past month? It was a very good month. Uh, so happy to be back with everybody tonight. So much, uh, you know, I do enjoy the Joe the show so much because I think uh, the more we can, you know, directly answer people's questions, the better off the the world is, and hopefully maybe enlighten them a little bit or connect a few dots from whatever research that I've done. So yes, so it's been a very good month. So happy to be back. Looking forward to the year. Looking forward to the conference. Um, I'm going to try and be there no matter what, but as this world uh, has shown me, things are unpredictable. So um, Yeah, 2023, a little curveball, huh? <laughs> it certainly did, yeah, or yeah, might uh, this year as well. You never know. But I've got my passport out, and they, it's in the uh, the uh, 
government's offices, so I'm expecting to have a passport renewed quickly because even though one thing, you know, I've I, uh, always try and be careful of is if you don't renew your passport six months before um, it expires, they, they don't let you through. So mine was uh, expiring in, in October. So I thought, oh boy, I, I better get this done before because that's getting a little bit dicey. But like I say, it's just I'm trying to make sure that uh, we're going to be there. I want to I want to meet with people and talk with people and uh, just uh, commune with uh, such a wonderful list of uh, of speakers. And uh, and I'm sure there'll be a wonderful list of people that show up as well to to listen to what we have to say. Definitely looking forward to really being able to to meet you in person, give you a hug and fellowship together. It's <laughs> That's what it's going to be all about, right? The the fellowship, of course. Yep. The, there's going to be some amazing topics uh, presented. Uh, any idea what you're going to speak on yet? I have no idea what Not, I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't yet. I've, I'm thinking about uh, having a better look at uh, how the... Uh, the, how it's being advertised and maybe try and do something a little bit more thematic than uh, what's on my personal list. So, but uh, lots of things to talk about. If it's my list, I've got a list of about 10 things I'm just dying to get out there and talk about in detail. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough choice, but uh, I'm going to try and make it, uh, you know, as information loaded as possible, which tends to be my MO, even when I, when I speak and also entertaining. So, uh, like I say, uh, maybe by the next show, I'll have the topic nailed down because I, I usually put in a lot of research for all of the uh, the speaking engagements that I do. We definitely appreciate that. And as much as you're desiring to share those topics, I'm sure everyone is very eager, just as eager to hear them. Uh, but with that said, let's uh, go ahead and jump over into the questions. The way that this works, if anyone is new here. Uh, we have a pre-made list of questions that came from last month's Ask Me Anything, and we will cover those first. Uh, but we are taking questions from the live chat. If you have a question, follow suit like Daniel Sullivan over there and Chris in the chat. Just write QUESTION in all caps at the beginning of your question so I know to add it to the list. And we are making a, a, a list, an ongoing list, that we will get into after the pre-made list. And if we do not get to all the questions, from the live stream chat tonight, we will roll them over to next month's Ask Me Anything. We already have some really great questions uh, coming on the list for live questions tonight. So let's go ahead and jump over and get right into it. The first question for tonight. Oh, one more thing. I'm so sorry. I know I got everyone really hyped up, but this is a very important thing. I have to ask, Brother Gary, where can people get a copy of your awesome book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, so I'll be quick on this so we can get into the questions. The best place to get hold of my book is through my website. That's the genesis6conspiracy.com. Genesis 6 with the number 6conspiracy.com. That'll be the same website that I'll be marketing uh, the second book through. It's not at it's not up for publication yet. I'm still working on the proofread. I'm on chapter 71 of 84. So getting down to the brass tacks of uh, getting that uh, ready to get some sample chapters off to be uh, and hopefully get published, which I'm pretty sure I'll find a way to get done. But um, that's where we're at. And both books will be offered there. And 
like the second book, like the first book, the second book will also have a generous excerpt of all of the chapters that are in the book. And there's 98 chapters for the first one. And there's a generous excerpt, but it's just a small fraction of what's in the book. So I'm not afraid of giving out information, as most people know. But uh, you can't imagine how much information is in the book. So all 98 chapters uh, and just the table of contents ought to get you excited. On the website, you can contact me if you've got any questions or if you want to get a book signed, you can go to uh, the uh, Buy Now page and uh, buy from the author. And if you want to email me uh, what you would like on that for a signing, I do custom signings, so no issues with that. I usually wait a day or two for people to, to get a hold of me just in case before I do the shipping. And you can also buy it from uh, off the website where you can connect through to Kindle and get the digital version. You can also connect from the Buy Now page to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, and BarnesandNoble.com. And... For those people who are not in the U.S., we ha I have a page for Canadians, so if you want to buy a copy, uh, and, I, and I ship out of Canada, so I never say enough that if for some reason your purchase might get declined when you're trying to purchase from me, it might be that there is a credit card safety process put in there where they're trying to stop fraud, so you have to uh, go to your credit card vendor, whoever it is, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, whomever, and just have it removed. It's just a international uh, standard safety thing. So a lot of people get find that it's declined and they're not sure why, and that would be the cause. Uh, so you can um, also get a hold of my uh, book through uh, most online bookstores. And if you wanted to support your local bookstore, you can order it in. It's uh, distributed by Bookmasters out of Pennsylvania and uh, they can order it on one of their orders. So you can support your local bookstore, which I also uh, support as well, people doing so. Uh, so yeah, lots of ways to get a hold of the book and hopefully lots of ways to get a hold of the second book as well. And definitely excited for that one. Thank you so much for sharing and thank and, you everybody. Oh, go ahead. And, and, and I forgot to send you an email on this, so I, I do apologize. Um, and whether I'm not sure how you might want to handle it. And if it doesn't work, uh, we'll just roll it over to the next show. But I have six books that um, I usually do my signings on the first page, which is redundant, and I mess the odd one up. So I have six that I'll just take that page out. It's a redundant page and sign it on the second page, and I'll be giving those away for free. So awesome. um, if you can find a way to collect the six names for me and get me the addresses, and I'll leave it up for you as to how you <laughs> would like to give those out. Um, I exciting. would be more than happy to, to send them a free copy. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'll consider how we should do the giveaways here. Uh, as we get through the first question. So, yeah, we have to pay bills, right? So being an author, it's uh, it's tough to do so, but everyone who does buy a book, that it, it adds up, right? We really appreciate all of your support, uh, everybody, and definitely thank you, Brother Gary, for all of your research and really diligently studying to put together such a, a great treasure trove of information there in your first book, and I'm sure your second book will be uh, on par so let's go ahead and jump over into the first question for tonight that comes from The Lamb is the Light. Is it possible to have a real life run-in with the enemy himself? Oh, I think so. And it might be rare, 
but I think it's more than possible. And biblically, I think we're told of uh, a couple of accounts where we know it can happen. So, you know, we have an interesting account in the Old Testament in the book of Job, where uh, although God permits that to happen, um, we know Satan is roaming the earth all of the time. And he's there as a tester for humankind. So not only is he like the puppeteer of everything and the one who sits over the council of the gods, that Psalms 82 talks about, he also has interaction as with Job. And then we get another direct encounter in the New Testament with uh, Judas. And so... uh, Judas is actually working with Satan to betray Jesus and that he actually requires more courage and confidence. And so right when the rubber is going to hit the road on the betrayal, Satan enters into Judas to to give him the power to do so. We have comments about, you know, Jesus talking about, um, you know, Satan seems to be sort of almost following around certain people and and Jesus tells Satan to get behind him. There's lots of references to Satan and what he does. And you can interpret some of those as being, you know, sort of indirectly, but a lot of the wording and a lot of the verses are saying there's a direct influence of Satan on on individuals. So, um, we, I think we need to, we, we need to understand that it is certainly possible, you know, let's say in James four, seven, for example, where, you know, we're being instructed to submit to God and to resist the devil and Satan will flee. So I think that's very specific to Satan as Diablos is the word. And although I know there are Satans that are sort of his lieutenants and right-hand men that the Book of Enoch talks about, and Azazel would be sort of front and center on that, those ones are probably in the abyss, but there would be other ones that would moved up. But this is specific. So the devil, as in Revelation 12, is Diablos. And where you see in the New Testament where it says devil, let's say, with evil spirits, as in the demons that that Jesus is uh, dealing with, like with legion, for example, this is not diablos as the Greek word. It's daemon for demons. So these are, you know, and the demons answer to diablos, uh, the devil, Satan, as part of the definition for diablos. So we're told quite distinctly that we need to be sure that uh, we're protecting ourselves from Satan and those who follow Satan, so both. And we're also told in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 that Satan tempts us um, and so that we, you know, we have to make sure we don't have, lose lose our own self-control because he's a tempter as well. So I won't go through like dozens. I think that sort of summarizes at least my position that Satan is an entity. Uh, He is the leader of the fallen angels, as he's described in Revelation 12. And he's here to do so right through this epoch, through the end time, and then goes to the abyss and then is released again. And with similar results, starts another rebellion against the rule of Jesus at the end of the millennium. So he's being permitted to do this. And he's there to sift us and to test us. And so we need to be very well aware of that. 
Yeah, that's a really great answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. So uh, along with being aware of that, we should be aware that Brother Gary did say he's going to give six books away tonight. So we're going to go ahead and do the first giveaway. The first person to write Hallelujah in the chat will get a free copy, a free signed copy of Brother Gary's book. So uh, the first person to say Hallelujah in the chat will get a free signed copy. So we'll go ahead and move on into the second question. It also comes from the Lamb as Light. Does God send dreams in this day? If so, how do we know if a dream is from Him? Yeah, very good question. So I think we, we want to be uh, careful with this. And I'm going to give uh, a couple of sort of both sides of the fence comments here. But at the, the end of the day, the omnipotent God can send visions or dreams or prophecy whenever He wants. And to whomever he wants and whenever he wants, uh, just as Jesus can. So, and just as the uh, Holy Spirit can. So, and it's all from the same page, whatever they're working together on, because they, they work in perfect harmony. So it doesn't really matter whom it comes from, as long as it's part of those three um, that work as one. And in the book of Daniel, we're told about 70 weeks, and this is in Daniel 9, that is to, you know, fulfill all of the things that need to be done and to seal up vision where there won't be a requirement for prophecy down the road. And that sort of shuts off after the destruction of the temple. And then you have a period in the last seven years, which is part of that, where specifically there will be vision and prophecy just as the people of israel as the book of joel talks about and the book of acts references there will be visions and prophecies coming from them and we'll have the 144,000 and the two witnesses probably certainly the two witnesses for sure providing prophecy in in the last seven years so does that mean then that there isn't any prophecy or dreams or vision between the end of the 69th week that happens with, I think, with the destruction of, uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, probably not necessarily, but you could certainly say there wouldn't be a significant amount. But we also know that we have Paul and Peter and other apostles who are putting prophecies down that would sort of maybe even date perhaps even after the fall of Jerusalem. So, and certainly the book of Revelation which is dated to about 90 to 100 is a vision after that. So I think the general rule is, is not a lot, but doesn't mean at all that there wouldn't be any dreams or prophecy in between. So getting down to the aspect of a specific dream that comes to you or, or even a vision that would come to you because there's, pretty similar it's just different sort of venues to do it um i think uh, it's possible um I, I i would very much caution people uh to not over sort of state or over uh, analyze the importance of it unless it is of that much importance and don't certainly don't raise yourself up if you've been so so privileged uh, because you want to be humble if you are, are, are provided such things i think anyways you, you should be very humble and very very aware that 
you, you, you ought to be humble about it, although you need to communicate it based on whatever you would have received. So it certainly is possible and probably does happen to a certain degree because there are intercessions of God. We know that in intercessions throughout our, our history. So, um, but I wouldn't expect it would be widespread in sort of that sort of visible, significant way. It would be, let's say, rarer than than common, so to speak. But if you do receive a vision, if you do receive a dream, then you need to test the Spirit. Uh, God is Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Spirit. Jesus, the Word was Spirit. And demons are spirits and fallen angels are spirits. And so you need to test them that they be from God and that they recognize the word Jesus as the redeemer and the one who atoned for all of our sins and uh, was resurrected and is coming back. And you need to test the spirits uh, because the ones that are out to deceive you will give you a lot of relevant disinformation and relevant facts with some disinformation and so it's really designed to subtly lead you astray if you're not very careful so my advice is is just test the spirits and then follow the spirit the holy spirit in terms of what your next steps are as to what you should be doing because if you received it in that sort of spirit then however you're going to Whatever you're going to do with it, however you're going to deliver it, needs to be done in the same way as you received it in the Spirit. So that would be my recommendation. So the answer is yes, and that would be, for me, how you discern whether it be uh, good or evil. And also understand that you have, you know, gods, uh, fallen angels, let's say, particularly in the Greek uh, pantheon, you have gods like Morpheus and other ones. And if that sounds familiar, that's from the Matrix. But that's where a lot of the allegory for the Matrix movie comes from, that they have gods who came to their followers in dreams for good or for evil. And so we need to be aware that they're still doing that. And demons can do that as well. So just be careful with it. Discern them. Test them. And then uh, moving forward, do everything in the spirit. Really great point. Thank you so much for that answer. Moving on to the next question. An interesting one comes from Jimmy Touchdown. Did Josephus rewrite anything? It's it's a good question, and and it's a very relative, uh, relevant question because Josephus, if people aren't familiar with his works, he wrote an extraordinary work that sort of a parallel accounting of what's written in the Bible. And he didn't do it to supersede the Bible. What he did was he wrote a book because he was commissioned to do so. He he was uh, a general in the Judaic army in the time of the destruction of the temple and the time, you know, after the time of Jesus uh, was crucified. And he was captured by the Romans and uh, he, uh, had a vision or was able, was prescient in some sort of way to indicate that the the general who was uh, in charge, Tiberius, as I recall, um, would become Caesar. And when that happened, Caesar remembered it and then uh, looked fondly upon Josephus, brought him back to Rome, gave him a nice home and a nice commission, 
and permitted him and commissioned him to write down the history of Israel and Judah so it would not be lost to the world because they had just sort of almost wiped Judea from the face of the earth and Israel had, had already gone. So they wanted to ensure that, and, and the Greeks did this as well. They wanted to make sure that those peoples, as much as possible, their histories were saved. So people like Barossus, for example, and others were commissioned by by the Greek uh, kings to uh, in the Greek Empire to to make these kinds of documents. So once you start to do things in support of the Old Testament and or the New Testament, and certainly Josephus references uh, a couple of lines about Jesus in there, then they're going to be open for attack. Uh, just as people are trying to discredit the Bible, they try and discredit Josephus. And that they say that his uh, books were rewritten or parts of it were rewritten or parts of it were corrupted or changed. There is zero proof to that. Um, but many people say it. And they're just trying to throw doubt on people. So that's that's one source that they're not going to turn to 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 sort of verify things that are written in the Bible. And I'm certainly not advocating that you raise what Josephus wrote up above what's written in the Bible. You measure, in my way of thinking, you measure everything uh, that is written outside the Bible against what's written in the Bible, and in this case, the book of Josephus. And if it strays from the Bible, uh, then you have to be saying, hey, maybe that part wasn't quite accurate that he wrote about Typically, he's quite accurate, and he was raised as a Pharisee. He was raised as uh, and very familiar and lived amongst the Sadducees, and then he also lived amongst the Essenes as well. So the three great group, great sort of groups of Judaic religious culture, all who had priests on the, on the Sanhedrin Council, he was familiar with, and so I think. It's just because you're trying; they're trying to discredit uh, the Bible through another avenue. So, like I say, there is uh, there's allegations. Nobody ever produces uh, proof of it because there is no proof. They're just saying that. So, uh, read it as you know for as being accurate for how Josephus wrote it, and then make your decisions on its accuracy based on how well it matches up to the Bible. And for me, for the most part, it matches up quite well. There are some things in there, uh, some additional stuff uh, and some things that are, are, you know, just a little bit too sort of off stream that, you know, you can't, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't put uh 100% faith in everything that Joseph has said. Yeah, that's a really good point. That definitely is something that, uh, reverberates with a lot of the texts that we've received that were held by, uh, you know, the Catholic churches for a long time, you know, maybe a thousand year old manuscript, but it's got some insertions in it that you know, smell like Catholicism. And you, you know, that they have origins, especially with the Testaments of the Patriarchs and Prophets, right? When you see fragments from the Dead Sea Scrolls that yeah. uh, go identical with what we found in the Greek, but then how much uh, was was added or taken away. You know, that yeah. there's always that question. So definitely appreciate that answer. I want to go ahead and get into the second book giveaway. If you are just now tuning in, Brother Gary is offering to sign and send out six of his books, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, to the listeners tonight. We've already done one giveaway. This is the second one. So 
if everyone is ready, I'm going to ask a question, and the first person to get the answer right will get a free signed copy of Brother Gary's book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. All right, the question is, Psalm 22 is a prophecy of what historic event? I'll ask him one more time. Psalm 22 is a prophecy of what historic event? And with that said, we'll move on into the next question on the Ask Me Anything. This one comes from Steve. Can Gary explain our pre-existence? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, I mean, there is biblically, in my opinion, evidence of our pre-existence now. How far one takes that gets to be, you know, sort of the speculative part. And um, so what we do know is this, biblically, is that um, we have uh, something called the the book of life that is um, talked about in the Bible. And we get that in Daniel 12. We get it in Revelation 3.5. Uh, Revelation 20, and there's one in reference in Revelation 17, 8 that is very interesting. It has uh, the understanding that this book is uh, written from the foundation or the creation of, of the earth. And so if we understand that as being, as you take foundation back into, into Greek, that it is uh, meaning of conception, um, of found, founding, of the time it was conceived, um, then it starts to sort of make some sense. And that's the Greek word katabule. Uh, um, and so we have a reference to our preexistence, that our names were written in that book. And when we have our opportunity to be on earth, we have a chance to um, leave it in the name of the book of life uh, through the, and, and obviously by being resurrected and or raptured or have it rubbed out. So through free choice, everything is, is being played out and we all have the same opportunity just as our ancestors did. And just as if we're not in the end time, if it goes on for longer, then they'll have that opportunity until all the names in the book of life, um, are, are, uh, fulfilled in terms of their opportunity. And we also know that, um, in Ecclesiastics 12, seven, it says that, when we die, our soul goes back to heaven. No, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. When we die, our spirit goes back to heaven. And so we know there's a spirit and we know there's a soul and there's a body. And so the spirit comes from God and it merges with the soul. And then when you die, it goes back. And we're not told what type of status that is in, but one presumes by the sleep sort of nature that um, not only is your soul and body asleep in the earth, but also one would presume that that likely extends to, to the spirit in heaven so that when you're resurrected, that comes back together. So... Um, Typically, when people are talking about pre-existence, they're talking about angelic as humans being 
and the angelic spirits and and perhaps that's the case um i think not but pre-existence is understood but also understand though that god is alpha omega jesus is alpha omega so they're above time and they know right from the beginning and even before anything is created whether it's uh, the universe, whether it's the angels, whether or not it's the different dimensions, whether it's humans, whether it's animals, they know everything that's going to play out in the ordained time. And so they know everybody that is going to be born. And there's a special spirit for everybody that's going to be born. So everybody is unique and everybody gets that sort of opportunity. So I tend not to take pre-existence back any further than each of our spirits is unique. Each of it comes from God. Each of it, each of our spirits, when we die, will go back to God and all will have that spirit come back no matter which part of the resurrection that you are, because you're going to be as part, even as part of the resurrection of the dead, they're going to be resurrected and that spirit would, would be part of that resurrection. One would presume because that's what sort of gives life uh, to the soul and the body. And so I would say that's as far as I tend to take it. I know a lot of people take that research a little bit deeper uh, and further back, but I, I, I tend not to specu speculate that that's the case. And certainly we don't have a lot of, I don't think we have a, a strong biblical case to get too far out on that branch. Excellent, thank you very much for that answer and clarifying that one. Our next question comes from Quix66. Are the current royals descended from the Nephilim? Powers behind and above the royals? Is it something else? Thank you. Yeah, yeah a couple of very good questions by Haya. Uh, and an interesting name, I might say, as well. But that's a different story. Um, obviously, uh, Haya is into Nephilim. So uh, certainly the uh, royals keep their genealogies. And I cover this in detail in my book. And there's many different bloodlines of the royals. And these ge genealogies go back into prehistory. And they go back to specific Nephilim and Raphaim, and then back to a specific angel. So let's say in the, uh, let's say Prince Charles III, that's who's king now. He's got a genealogy that he says, and he's on record on saying this, that goes back to Vlad the Impaler because they keep these records and it's part of understanding your pedigree, which is going to be reflected in your coat of arms and the more ennobled or grafted in as in scion, as they like to call it, that's S E I O N E D as in grafting as their double entendre goes. Uh, other bloodlines will give you a more ennobled bloodline. Uh, so there's that part of the aspect of the genealogies as well. And the more pure bloodlines you have that are straight Rephaim and Nephilim bloodlines is where you're going to sort of fit into the hierarchy. And so they, and, and, and following this line of thought, you have Vlad the Impaler who uh, takes his genealogies back to the Scythians and a specific tribe of the Scythians that were spawned by Hercules uh, and Hercules is a son of a human female and Zeus. 
So that would be the most obvious one, just to summarize it sort of quickly in terms of, do they have genealogies? They say they do. Are they accurate? I don't know, but they certainly believe that that's the case. And whether or not it's 100% true or not, it's not whether or not we believe them, it's what they believe and what they're doing with that belief. So these are what we would understand as part of the visible ones in the hierarchy. Now, there are other ones that are visible as in the elementals, which has four groups, and they are below the Nephilim or the demon spirits of the Nephilim and the Raphaim. And uh, there's also the part of that four groups of the elementals tend to be thought of as the, as the little people. And then the salamanders are reptilian people that are larger than uh, a human, um, probably more akin to like the, the hash uh, serpent uh, before the Eden incident. Uh, whether it's the same, I don't know. Whether it's another creation, is what I do know it's part of their hierarchy. And then the invisible ones are the ones who are the demon spirits of the disembodied giants and the fallen angels in the counterfeit, or not the counterfeit, but in the rebellious hierarchy. And of course, angels are spirit beings, but dealing with the hierarchy that's been asked here about, they would have a different, they would have the same kind of hierarchy as the Saba or host of the, uh, of, of God, the angel, the army of God as Saba is, uh, is defined as in Hebrew. And so, and in my in my upcoming book, I have a couple of chapters just devoted to this hierarchy of of the angels. And so we have uh, probably a specific uh, archangel, and maybe it's one of the four winds or the four spirits that are talked about in the Bible that would uh, be overseeing three or four different sort of groups of the loyal angels. So you would have a a group of four then that would be counterfeited in the rebellious order. So, and these would still answer to Satan. Um, and in the hierarchy, I kind of look at it sort of this way, although I do recognize there could be four. I tend to put the Ophanim and the Cherubim together with that pillar uh, and its hierarchy, but I, I recognize there might be four. So if I look at the term powers that's being asked in the question, uh, the powers behind them. Powers uh, is a type of being, a type of angel, both loyal and rebellious. So where, where powers show up, and the English translations are poor, poor in their consistency sometimes coming out of the Greek, you have uh, the powers that are derived from the Greek word excusia, and there also that word is used, excusia, in Greek for authorities as it shows up in the New Testament. And you also have in that one pillar of the hierarchy, right below the powers are the arche. And that is translated as principalities in the, in the New Testament, as well as rulers and as well as magistrates. And they tend to be involved in government and religion, and they would report up 
to the seraphim watchers and there's four seraphim watchers uh groups of them uh seraphim cherubim ophanium and archangel so powers is also sometimes um, translated as mighty and sometimes transliterated and defined as virtues but they are not excusia angels they are dunamis and so where it says powers coming from dunamis it probably should be defined as mighties and again in the counterfeit they have an exact same type of hierarchy just with fallen angels and so mighties are the strong angels dunamis and they may even be the same angel as the mighty ones in revelations uh, it's mentioned twice, which are Iskuros, but it, they could be a specific one within that same pillar. So just as we had powers and principalities aligned with the seraphim, with government and religion, this is the archangel hierarchy. And the archangels are in charge of the army. So the archangels are at the top, just as the seraphim are in the top of the other pillar. Right below them are Dunamis and Iskurus, and some people place even the angels at the bottom as almost being like the foot soldiers in the army. Um, so, But you would also maybe say that angels could also fit in with the government and religious and as messengers. So they may be part of all of the different um, hierarchies. The uh, third and or fourth, I kind of group them together, but I recognize there's there's a uh, a uh, possible splitting into four different groups are the cherubim and the ophanim, and those are the wheel or the throne angels. The ophanim, they're the ones that are in the wheel in Ezekiel one three and ten. There, when it references the beings, it is the word ophan. And the I am plural is Ophanium, and that's the name of the watchers that are talked about in the book of Enoch, which shows you that uh, that book, whether or not it's corrupted or not, it's at least based on the ancient Hebrew. Um, and so you have the cherubim at the top and the Ophanium, as in the throne room. And then you have the thrones that are right below that, as are described in the New Testament. And that goes back to the uh, Greek word thronos. Now, that could be just another name for Ophanium. Uh, it's not clear to me. I, there's not a lot of passages on it because the Ophanim are the throne angels. But these ones could be maybe a lower group that would be part of the thrones of the various pantheons uh, below, you know, below Satan and in the council of the gods and or throne angels of of the thrones on earth of the royals. And below the thrones, you have the dominions. And they're also translated as uh, lordships, and it comes from the Greek word koriotasi. Uh, and so that is right below the thrones. And then typically people put angels right below that group as well, because they would have messengers and or foot soldiers as well. And angel comes from angelos, angelos and or malak out of Hebrew. So you've got that council of the gods, and then you've got the pillars that they're responsible for throughout this army, for the governments, for the army, and for the thrones that are around the world. And those are the invisible ones 
that uh, the uh, Nephilim kings, the Raphaim kings, the royals as we would know them today, report to and who they believe in. And so when they swear an oath to their god, that's plural, gods. Uh, maybe to a specific god that they might swear an oath to would, would be their godfather or the original patriarch angel that would have fathered the original Nephilim and Raphaim and the specific branch. Awesome. Thank you so much for that information. It is time for our third book giveaway. I know everyone must be excited waiting to get a signed copy of Brother Gary's book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. So I'll go ahead and throw out this question. The first person to get a right answer in the chat will get their signed copy. And also the winner of the last book, uh, The Tree Mistress, wanted to let you know. Oh, excuse me, the, the two beauties wanted to let you know that they're very grateful and they're very excited. Uh, so let's get into this question. The first person to get a right answer will get a free copy, a free signed copy of Brother Gary's Genesis 6 Conspiracy. The question is, the beginning of Genesis 6 describes what historic event that is also described in the Dead Sea Scrolls fragments of the Book of Enoch? I'll ask you one more time. The beginning of Genesis 6 describes what historic event that is also described in the Dead Sea Scrolls fragments of the Book of Enoch? And with that said, we'll move on to the next question for Brother Gary. And this one comes from the winner of the first uh, book giveaway tonight. It comes from Sports Bike Biker Chick. Do you know anything about the law of one raw material? I'm struggling on how to feel about it being information that came about through channeling. What are your thoughts on channeling? Yeah, it's a very good question. So channeling is being like a medium it's like being a sorcerer and the bible speaks specifically to that and one i don't think one ought to go and try and channel and i think that um if you do receive spiritual knowledge as we talked about you know, you need to test it. But if you're going to go through channeling or if you're going to do any of the sort of polytheist ways of trying to communicate with spirits, dead, whatever beings that are out there, uh, you're, you're running the risk of, and most likely all the time, if you're doing the channeling as a medium, you're going to be in contact with uh, uh, demons and, and, and fallen angels. So... My thoughts are, are on, on channeling is don't do it uh, because you're risking possession and you're risking being led astray. So be, be very, very careful with that. Now, this doctrine that's sort of out there called the law of one raw material, it is, uh, it's, it's interesting uh, I tend to look for commonalities when I see different aspects of polytheism so I can sort of quickly recognize it's the same doctrine that's talked about in all different sort of polytheism. So basically it's a philosophy that they're putting out there and they like to describe it as a philosophy and philosophy is the theology of polytheism. It means the love of wisdom or the love of Sophia and Sophia is the female goddess in Gnosticism. 
uh, who somehow um, has some sort of creation of sexual nature to produce 12 archons through this nebulous life force um, that produces 12 archons that they, in Gnosticism, include the God of the Bible as one of them and, and one of the angels that uh, went rogue, as they would call it. Now, this philosophy that they're teaching is that everything in the universe is of the same material. And I think maybe at a basic level, that's probably the same, and that might even be true. But we have to be careful of the, you know, the facts and the facts that are being twisted in, in polytheism. So we have to be, as Christians, we have to really be careful with some of this stuff. And it's that ideology goes on to say is, is that the only differences um, that we observe is through lack of awareness or lack of knowledge or lack, lack of gnosis as it would be understood. So, um, and I would also sort of throw this out as a thought when we, when I talked about the matrix, um, Earlier in the show, when I was talking about Morpheus and the, 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 the gods of sleep that come out of Greek mythology that a lot of the characters in, in Matrix was, uh, uh, were named after, uh, they view the world as a projection uh, of what happens in heaven. And so, so above, so below, as their saying goes. And so from that aspect, if you look at everything from a matrix, then it would all be the same material. They just find ways to shape those particular uh, pieces of information or whatever is the final construct of the universe at a, at a small level and builds up from into a visible level. And it's, it's organized in that sort of manner. So we have to, again, we have to be careful with this. And so, some of the teaching says that Ra's, all of Ra's teachings, they rotate. And all that means is they sort of happen again. It's that dualism of this perpetual thing that's going on. And that he, and as this information came down, he had uh, how it was, this knowledge was acquired was something like 26 sessions with an extraterrestrial, as some books define it. Uh, others say it's just beings, and these beings, their names are collectively Ra, which, of course, everybody knows Ra is a god of, of the Egyptians. So one deduces this probably is the Rosicrucian uh, belief system that's putting this stuff out because they have a lot of Egyptian uh, imagery in the Rosicrucian and of Gnosticism. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a cosmology of global Gnosticism as you get to the core of what they're trying to bring on in the whole world. And this, these sessions happened in, in about 1962 and over, you know, I think 19 years. So it's a philosophy that the universe is the manifestation of a creator or that matrix from their belief system as opposed to as a creator of however he's doing it. It's the real thing. It's not a copy. It's not a projection. Um, and that they profess the unity of oneness. So you've heard that typical Gnostic term. Uh, that is used, be one with the universe or one with the force. Um, that is the typical sort of ultimate 
archetypical doctrine of Gnosticism and polytheism, no matter where you where you go on the earth, it's called the divine essence that is described in uh, the the Vedas. And they have different sort of names for it in different cultures, but anytime you get uh, those types of terms, then it is... Uh, you need to sort of understand that, that that's probably a polytheist sort of title and a polytheist doctrine that sounds pretty good on the, on the surface, but once you dig below what they're really talking about, they're talking about the polytheist understanding of, of, uh, of creation and uh, how things work in the uh, ongoing perpetual war of good versus evil. And so that, they take it to the point where they say creation and people are all one being and that one being extends out of the universal life force as they would call it in polytheism. I know this is very popular um, that's out there in new age and you see a lot of it out on social media. Just ask hard critical questions about it. Uh, but for me, it is strictly standard uh, polytheist, doctrine that's being passed on and trying to delude people through different sort of names of the sources. And in this case, the law of one from the Raws. Awesome. All right. Well, we are just a couple minutes out from break. We've been having so much fun with the book giveaways. We do still have three more to do. And uh, congratulations to Yohanan the Seeker uh, who got the answer exactly right. I know that it, it was kind of, it was a difficult uh, decision for me to decide who got it exactly right because, of course, I got the the one-word answers. People said Giants, Nephilim, but uh, Yohanan got it right when he said the, the Watchers coming to the Daughters of Men, and that was uh, the very beginning right there of Genesis chapter 6, which we know. Uh, Brother Gary's Wayne, uh, brother, brother Gary's Wayne, brother Gary Wayne's book is all about the Genesis six conspiracy. What exactly happened there on uh, potentially Mount Hermon, where the fallen angels came down to, and how the Nephilim bloodlines spread across the world, and what are the uh, the effects that we're feeling today? How did it all end up uh, how it is today? As we know, there's a lot to be questioned, a lot of uh, a lot of questions and quite quite few answers when you look at uh, what's propagated in the mainstream. So uh, really happy to have truth seekers like yourself, Brother Gary, to join us to be able to share your research. You know, your generation, I feel like, was the last generation to ever find comfort in a library. <laughs> so I appreciate that, all the research, and uh, really great questions, everyone. Uh, like I said, we do have a few more of the signed copies of Genesis 6 conspiracy, conspiracy to give away after the break. We'll be right back, and thank you for tuning in.
right, welcome back, right, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host for tonight, Justin James Garcia, and I am joined by author and researcher Gary Wayne. As this is the 42nd episode of our Ask Me Anything series, we're having a great time uh, doing book giveaways, hanging out with everybody in the chat, and also uh, getting some really great answers to some of the questions that uh, we've been struggling with on our own. So it's always great to be able to present them to such a well-researched individual such as yourself, uh, Brother Gary. So uh, before we get back into the questions, could we let the audience know where they could get a copy of your book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, if they do not win a free copy tonight? (laughs) Yeah, darn, eh? Uh, So the best place to uh, get a hold of my book is through my website. Lots of ways to um, buy it through there. So that's the Genesis sixconspiracy.com that's genesis six with the number six conspiracy.com and on that website you'll get a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters so you'll get a good feel for whether or not it's the book for you if you're not familiar with uh, me or, or or the book and if you didn't want to buy if you didn't want to buy a book there's a uh a buy uh a, a buy page that you click on and buy from the author and you can get a signed copy from there if you like and i have a page for canada i have a page for the us and i have a page for all overseas i live in canada so um when i say overseas that's everywhere that is not the us or canada which i have separate pages for you can also link over to kindle to get the get the digital version if that's what you would prefer and you can link over to barnesandnoble.com from the buy page and to amazon.com and to barnesandnoble.com and amazon.ca so um, lots of ways to get a hold of the book uh, through the website uh, you can also get it on most online bookstores and it's also available uh, through your local bookstore. They just need to order it in through Bookmasters. Uh, they probably don't have it on the shelf, but if you did want to support your local bookstore, you can do it that way as well. So best ways to get uh, the book is through the website. Lots of options. Awesome. And we do still have three books to give away. So stay tuned and we'll be doing those giveaways sporadically throughout the next hour. So getting back into the questions, this one comes from Donna Smith. Do you believe in soul ties as in recognizing that you may have been in contact with someone you share alignments strongly with now as in friendship predestination, even with like-minded as in here? Yeah, no, I don't. uh, For the most part, Uh, I do sort of from a biblical sort of perspective. Um, But typically when we're talking about these concepts, they are not from a biblical sort of motivation and so if people aren't familiar with soul tie it it is quite popular as i understand now on social media uh, and it seems to have a a large interest with um, uh, the younger generation that is uh, trying to figure out different aspects in terms of religion and spirituality and trying to make sense of this world and this seems to be one of those ones that you i think people want to be careful with so you know a soul tie you know is basically as the doctrine goes is a a spiritual connection between two people um that provides uh you know for uh 
either a mutually good experience or a mutually bad experience. And it, 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 you know, you can, it could go either way, but most people are looking at it. No, it's going to be for my soulmate is another term that people might be familiar with it. And basically people have this sort of sense that they're familiar with people um, and that uh, they show up or they show up at a significant sort of turning point in your life or a specific point where you needed that specific help. And that, that was sort of this, this, this destiny or this fate that was, uh, assigned to people. Well, I don't believe in fate. I believe in destiny and that's because I believe in free choice and that everybody has a free choice in this earth to choose God or not. And so you're not, fated to do anything. You're not fated to meet anybody. You choose your destiny and that will be what it will be. And, and even though God as Alpha Omega knows everything from before creation to beyond, because he's outside of time, doesn't mean that it's fated. It's he lets everything play out through free choice. So we want to be careful that fate is a polytheist doctrine. Uh, and again, a significant pillar of polytheism. And it's fine if that's what people choose to believe. But make sure you know why you're believing what you're believing. And so you have these strong emotional connections. You have these strong reactions to people. It's like trying to be more complete that with that soul tie, you, you are absolutely uh, complete. So this tends to be more originating with the people of the bloodlines um, and the bloodlines and it's called the albigens. It's called the, the gene of Isis. It's called the fairy gene that produces their kind of blood type that typically ends up being R, as RH negative. And that People that have that gene and have uh, the manifestation of the gene that would produce uh, one of those blood types, they tend to believe they have better in intuitive skills. They tend to believe they have more psychic ability. So that's where this starts to sort of feed on itself. They believe that um, <clears throat> they have uh, more intuitive and events that would be tied to unexplained phenomena um, that would be tied to things like uh, things that just sort of shouldn't happen or to alien abductions, all sorts of things that they're more in tune with. And that's because they believe, and I, I have no reason to doubt it, and if this is their belief, that these things happen to them. And that this is known in the bloodlines, in the royales. And it's known as something called the hive mind. That if you have the gene and are of the bloodline, that you have to varying degrees of the purity of that bloodline, you have telepathic abilities to communicate and get close on a spiritual level to work on things in a uh, combined manner. And it's a requirement 
for uh, the polytheist agenda that this is there because there's no way they could pull off the rendezvous with destiny in the end uh, in time that they're trying to bring about without that hive mind. The problem, though, is, is there's also rivalries, and that's where people can sort of get sort of hurt within that sort of belief system. So it's not that I'm against being super close to people. Just make sure that you're tying that to whatever your belief system is that, that you choose to believe. And I would encourage you to look at the Christian belief system um, and tie it to that. But again, just be make sure whatever belief system you come from is, is you are using a very critical analysis of the things that are being said and aren't misled to something that you're you're not going to be comfortable with down the road or, or sorry that you did. So just have your eyes open by knowing your facts and knowing why you believe what you believe. Awesome. Thank you very much for that answer. Uh, I believe it is time for another book giveaway. So I'm going to ask a question. It is going to be a little harder than the previous ones. This one's going to uh, require a very, very strict answer here okay so i'm gonna ask a question the first person to get the full correct answer in the chat will get a free signed copy of brother gary's genesis 6 conspiracy all right so the question is what is the name of enoch's father and what does his name mean and i'm asking of the enoch the son of or the great-great-great-grandson of Seth, what is Enoch's dad's name, and what does that name mean? All right, so I'll go ahead and move on over to the next question. For Brother Gary, this one comes from Daniel Sullivan. Do you think that the harvest of the earth in Revelation 14, 14 through 16 could be the rapture when the Son of Man is in the clouds for the harvest? Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, if people are familiar with some of the things that I talk about, I, I reference uh, Revelation 14 a lot, and that particular chapter kind of ends sort of the first three and a half years as you overlay the events in Revelation as on top of the accounts that Jesus provides in Matthew 24. Mark 13, Luke 17, and 21. And so it ends with the 144,000 as being seen as first fruits in heaven. And then you get a summary of the last three and a half years that is, is taking place there. And then after that, you're going to get the details from the summary. So Daniel is, is referencing Gen, uh, Revelation 14, but let me just sort of back up a little bit of what I'm talking about in terms of that summary. And so this is uh, the summary that comes after the angel does the final preaching of the gospel um, to the world. And so this is after the 144,000. This is just after the the commission uh, of the two witnesses. And just as Jesus talks about that the gospel has to be preached, it happens before the abomination. So right at that time. And then so verse 7 in Revelation 14 um, 
we're informed that now is the coming for the judgment. It's not quite yet, but now is the time of the judgment. Now is the time of the great tribulation, as it's talked about uh, in Matthew 24, um, after the abomination, and as it's described as affliction in the same accounting in Mark. They're not talking about different events, just as the affliction that happens in about Matthew 24 is should be trans, uh, uh, translated as tribulation, and I think Mark 13 should be translated as tribulation. It goes back to the Greek, Greek word Philippis. And so it's talking about these events that are going to have to start to take place. And then it starts to give you those events. So Babylon falls. Antichrist is going to destroy Babylon in Revelation 17. And he's going to do it when the ten kings give him the power to, uh, uh, of their kingdoms to do so. And Babylon is the universal religion of the, the first three and a half years and probably a few years before that, at least three years before that. So this is the fall of Babylon. And then the next thing after the fall of Babylon, one would deduce is the abomination where Antichrist declares himself to be God and king of the world in the temple because in verse 9, you get the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and the next few verses after that are talking about that. So you see the sequence that is happening for the time of the last three and a half years. And then by the time you get to Revelation 14, 12 to 14, um, oh, and, and Revelation 14, 12, I, I'm sorry, is a time where is we're going to require the patience of the saints. Now, that is an interesting passage in that summary, and it happens before Jesus comes with the sickle. Um, in terms of the harvest that's being talked about, which is an Armageddon reference. So sometime after what you sort of get in here, that there's a time of patience of the saints. And so the question gets to be, are those saints, uh, the people who uh, remain, who separate from, the, uh, remain and are separate from those who have already been raptured? Or does rapture happen about that time? And then those who are going to earn their resurrection into the millennium are the ones who refuse to take the mark of the beast and refuse to worship Satan or worship Antichrist. But when the Son of Man comes in Revelation 14 to 16 with the sickle, then this is the time of Armageddon. So we have a few years that are after the mark of the beast that happens with Antichrist reign, as Revelation 13 talks about, for three and a half years, and to the time of the Armageddon. And so Armageddon happens as part of the wrath bowls of Revelation 16. And that's where you see the name Armageddon. And you also get the detail of that battle later in Revelation 19, right after the Supper of the Lamb. So you have a year of the Lord's wrath that the Old Testament talks about. And wrath and tribulation aren't the same things. Um, you have uh, two different words that are describing wrath in the New Testament, orche and uh, Thuno, as I recall, and tribulation for Philippians. And they're not interchangeable. They're different words, and they're used at different times for specific reasons because the Bible is 
very, very accurate in the old language. And before the year of the Lord's wrath, where the wrath bowls are poured out, that leads to the Armageddon battle that is described in Revelation 19, you have the year of the Lord's favor that happens in Luke 4 and in Isaiah 62, as I recall. And this is the year of the breaker that is talked about in the book of Micah, when Jesus will lead the captives. He is going to break Israel and Judah out of prisons to meet up with Judah in the wilderness after the abomination. Jesus comes back for rapture. He comes back for exodus and he comes back for the the Armageddon. And it's called the days of the uh, son of man twice in in the book of Luke, and then it's called in the Old Testament Old Testament the visitations, and so it's more than one time when he comes. So no, I don't think. Although you could read into it with just that verse that perhaps rapture happens at the time of Armageddon, I would place it further back. And I know a lot of people will disagree on me with me on the timing of rapture. Um, but in this scenario, in terms of what's being outlined here, I would say that there's a patience required of the saints after the mark of the beast for a very short period of time before they're going to be raptured. And then there's the patience of the saints for the people who um, refuse to take the mark and aren't raptured. And so we need to be careful in terms of the terms wrath and tribulation as we understand that timing. And I wouldn't ram the uh, the, the rapture into the time of the Armageddon, but there is one verse, and I won't—I don't have time to go into all the detail of it. But you get a thief of the night that happens in the Revelation 16 verses, and thief of the night uh, is used in a couple of different ways. It's—it's—it's it's, it's an allegory for when Jesus comes, but it's an allegory for when he comes for two different visitations: one's for rapture, one's for Armageddon. And as I said, there's actually three visitations. Awesome! Thank you very much for that answer. Move on to the next question comes from Al Ferry. When God puts his seal on his, as opposed to the mark of the beast, on that group, then is that the 144,000 less to be priest? Yeah, very good question. So, you know, we're told in the New Testament that, you know, as we, we have a seal of God on us as, as part of our belief. Whether or not that's the same seal that's being applied here or not, I guess we'll have to wait and see. If we're still here, and this is a an event that happens in the first three and a half years of the last seven, then we would love to have that seal because the the scorpion beings that are coming out of the uh, out of the abyss are going to uh, <laughs> uh, make people suffer for for five months, and they're going to seek death or not. So, but this is back in Revelation seven that is being. Uh, discussed here, um, where the seal goes on the 144,000. So when we look at that word seal, um, it it has it comes from two different words. The 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 direct Greek word is 4972, and uh, is is the is the number of it, and it means um, for security. Um, and it means th that it is um, to prove one's testimony, to confirm beyond doubt, 
to authenticate. So there's going to be an authentication of these 144,000 with this seal that will distinguish them from false, other false, not other, but uh, distinguish them from the false prophets of Babylon and then uh, the prophets uh, would be prophesying also for Antichrist as well uh, as for his coming. So it will be a distinguishing seal and it will be in direct contrast to the mark of the beast as well, which some people would look at as a seal. I think it's something a little bit less visible, um, but we'll have to wait and see. And so it also roots in, in a, a Hebrew word that this Greek word comes from, and it's a, a series of words, and it starts with 5725, 5724, and 5726, and they're all part of the same word, just different nuances to the meaning, and it means the justice of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And the words are uh, Adulam, Adulay, and uh, Adulamim, so as in the plural. So the 144,000 are going to be the Adulayim, uh, that's A-D-U-L-I-A-M-I-Y-I-M. If people are looking for how I'm butchering the pronunciation of that, that would be uh, the, the Hebrew word in, in plural. And so these ones are... Uh, going to be in direct contrast to the mark of the beast for sure. And it will no doubt provide them protection from the beasts coming, scorpion beasts that are coming out of the abyss. What's also interesting about the 144,000 of the tribes of Israel, they may actually have a relationship to the sanctified firstborn of Israel and Judah that is talked about in Exodus 13 or Exodus 3:12 and Numbers 3:13, where God is sanctifying for himself, and one kind of almost gets from the inference of the passage is that he's separating certain first ones for himself for a specific prophetic purpose to come back. Uh, in the end time to be that 144,000 to provide the testimony, not only to Christians and people around the world, but to awaken Israel, um, because it would be from the sanctified ones of the firstborn, and they're there to wake uh, lost Israel up, which who, who will awaken in the uh, first three and a half years in preparation for a second exodus and the visitations that we talked about from an Old Testament perspective. Well, thank you so much for that answer. And with that, it is time for our second to last giveaway. So we do have two more books to give away from Brother Gary tonight. And he has said that he will sign them. So this question is going to be the hardest one, I believe, that I've asked so far. And it is going to take a very, very uh, well put answer. You're going to have to get a perfect answer here to get this free book. So if everyone is ready, I will ask. And then I will give a little hint just in case. So here it goes. What kind of clothing do false prophets wear? And how can you know them? How can you find out that they are false prophets? I'll ask him one more time. What kind of clothing do false prophets wear? And how can you tell that they're false prophets? 
And if you need some help, I'll direct you to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7. All right. Thank you for your patience, Brother Gary, and also thank you so much for doing the book giveaways. This has been a lot of fun, and I know so many people are so excited. Uh, we have our last winner, Terry, said that she had been waiting a long time to get a copy of your book. So, so awesome, and we're so excited uh, that you're doing the giveaway. So let's go on to the next question for the AMA. This one comes from Carol. Are the 144,000 young, undefiled, virgin Jewish men? One deduces that that would be the case, as, as I talked about them as the firstborn and being sanctified. Uh, one presumes that they were set aside for a special purpose and they are perfectly pure. So, I mean, there there isn't, I don't think a specific verse that sort of verifies that, um, but they are Jewish by their description. Um, it would appear that they are the, you know, uh, a, a very select group that were selected either to be born now, uh, if we're if we're in the fig tree generation, or kept from before, just like Elijah is going to be coming back, and I, I should, probably should have made a reference like that. Um, in 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 the question that was just talking about the 144,000 as priests, so these will be priests. These will be probably as you know as pure as they can be, and as part of the first fruits, a part of the resurrection sequence of of Jesus. Um, then the, when Jesus the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who are still asleep and uh, those who are still alive, um, and. Uh, 144,000 are first fruits. Uh, I would expect that they would be undefiled in that sort of nature, um, but that is more my speculation. But I think the language sort of speaks to that. Awesome. Thank you for that answer. Moving on to the next one that comes from Sabian. What do you think of the storyline of Santa Claus possibly being the current recipient of the curse of Cain? Yeah, I'm not sure what Sabian is talking about that. Um, you know, Santa Claus, um, you know, is typically known as white, uh, you know, white hair. Um, and uh, he certainly has kind of a, you know, polytheist kind of connections to the to the symbolism, like him riding in the sleigh uh, with reindeer that has horns, and you sort of get a sort of unicorn uh, chariot uh, akin to Apollo or Zeus or, or other gods that rode in such chariots, um, and those would be considered as cherubim in uh, polytheism. So again, a counterfeit of what's described in Ezekiel 1, uh, three and ten, and as the Psalms talks about the cherubim pulling God's chariot in the visions. So, um, but when we're talking about a connection to Cain, the only way you can sort of get to that is is that, and there's a bit of a mythos out there about Santa Claus is is just a symbol for white violence, and I don't tend to. <laughs> Uh, fall into that aspect of it. But I do know that Nephilim were pale white, 
Raphaim were pale white. They had different colored hair, generally red and blonde, and then another variety of black hair, like with Gilgamesh. Um, but they all had pale skin. That was uh, was sort of that commonality uh, in terms of the skin color. And, and, and just as you get that word I talked about as LB gens, um, with LB going back to old English and old French into Latin as being white and blanche and hoary sort of colored. And so that was a commonality that is sort of goes along with the fairy gens, the gene of Isis and the, um, <coughs> and the LB gens, um, a gene. Uh, and I'm not saying everybody that's pale is, is, is a descendant of giants, but that's sort of, you know, one of those characteristics. And there's a book that is, it, it's apocryphal. It's interesting. I don't know how legitimate it is, um, but it certainly has some information in it that is sort of connected, is that in the book of Lamech, of son of Cain, um, and it's available on digital copies as well if people want it. It talks about the you know the 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 being of Lamech of the Cain line and his connection to uh, the Nephilim, uh, because the Nephilim, in, in according to that book, came from the daughters of of Cain, and he's of that lineage and of that time frame of the creation of the Nephilim before the flood. It talks about the curse of Cain in that book as having uh, been taken from whatever skin tone he had um, to a very white color, Nephilim-like. And so it's thought that both the Nephilim who were violent, the Raphaim who were violent, and Cain that were violent, that part of that mark of Cain is that mark of the violence. So again, I don't know whether that's the connection with the complexion that's being asked here, um, but that's the only way I could get there is, is maybe that's the connection. Um, but there is a curse of Cain and whether or not it's as the book of Lamech described or some other seal or mark that was provided that would make him known to the people that he met uh, that they wouldn't kill him, that he was protected. I'm not sure that the white skin would do that, and the Nephilim hadn't been created by then, because that happens in Genesis 6. Um, so I'm not convinced that that's a sort of a direct linkage, but that's the only way through any of my research I could link it back. So hopefully I answered a little bit of it, Sabian. I'm sorry I can't give you a more definite answer than that, but uh, that's um, perhaps the connection. Yeah, thank you for the answer. I know when I read that question, I had uh, no clue how how to go about giving any type of answer to that. So thank you for putting that one together for us. We'll move on to the last question from the pre-made list for tonight. Last question before we get into live stream questions. This one comes from Caroline. I've come across some claims in the Christian community that homeopathy isn't Christian. I'd be grateful of any insights might be able to shed on this. I'm not an expert on homeopathy, um, and I'm not against knowledge, and I'm not against wisdom. 
I would say all things can be used for good or evil. So it depends on what the application is. And is it doing things to honor God or is it doing things to honor um, the pantheon of gods? And is it doing anything that would defile, defile you or not defile you? So I would sort of say I would place whatever is the application and that it's being used for, that's how you would sort of evaluate it. And if there aren't any rituals involved, then you don't have to worry about that. So if there's a ritual involved, then you ought to be aware of it, uh, that that is not something that we would be instructed to be participating in. And typically things that are of a sort of a polytheist nature or the wisdom of the world, the philosophy of the world, it is saturated with ritual. Uh, everything that comes from God is not saturated in rituals. It's very, very simple. And don't make images. Uh, and even the Israelites were, were told not even to carve the, the the rocks of the altar. He wanted them plain. It's just look for the telltale signs. As I talked about earlier in the show, when I look at some of the doctrines that are out there because they come at you in a whole bunch of different ways and forms in different places, you'll see the commonalities that are there. And then the other thing to keep uh, aware of is that Typically, things out of polytheism, which includes secularism as being the puppet of polytheism, is that it's designed, if it does anything to lead you away from God, then understand it's polytheist. Now, if you are polytheist and that's what you believe and you've checked it out and you're comfortable with that, fine, you know, keep going. But from a Christian perspective, we ought not to be participating in polytheist things. Awesome. Thank you so much for all the answers. Now it is time to go over into the live stream question list. Let me take count real quick. We have, uh, let me do, we have 23 questions so far from the live stream tonight. So we'll get into the first one that comes from facts, not fiction. Gary, I believe that either you or Zen called the Holy Spirit the original Queen of Heaven. Is this true? And does this explain the enemy counterfeiting all their feminine deities? Yeah, I don't know whether I said um, the Holy Spirit is the original Queen of Heaven. Um, I would not, that doesn't sound like me. Um, I would be very careful with that. And um, I, I, I do understand the similarities that polytheism talks about with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, you know, they have female goddesses that are in the sort of physical world construct that are called the Queen of Heaven. Um, just as Babylon has, and the woman that rides the beast has these references to the queen of heaven. Beings in heaven, though, have no gender, and there's no need for gender, and there's no need for sex because they're immortal. And so things that are described in the worldly languages, let's say like English, for example, you have gender to reflect the two genders because we 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 need to reproduce otherwise we would disappear from the face of the earth and so 
you do have in the book of Proverbs where you have these pronouns that go back to the Holy Spirit when it's talking about wisdom that are used as she and as her as opposed to he. And so I recognize that that is a worldly physical construct as a reference as we would understand it. But in the true essence, the spirit would be gender genderless. And I also know that the word wisdom in some of the applications go back to the female format in Hebrew. Um, and Sophia tends to be the word uh, that 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 it tends to come from uh, in 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 the Old Testament. Um, so and and there are other words where was I think I'm referring to the New Testament on that. And then there are separate words for Hebrew, but some of them have an a h at the end that denotes denotes that uh, feminine sort of nature. So I don't dispute what the words say. Um, what I do know is, is there is a Holy Spirit, and it is a spirit, uh, and it does not have a gender on earth, and God doesn't, God is spirit, God doesn't have a gender on earth, the word didn't have a gender until he made himself flesh and uh, came about through through Jesus, but still the world, world, the word was, you know, spirit in heaven. Now, obviously, with Jesus being resurrected, it it's a new body and our bodies will reflect the body of Jesus in the resurrection when our spirits are rematched up uh, into the physical thing, but it'll be changed and transformed into a physical thing that can go between the heavens and, and, and the earth. So no, I don't recall saying that. Um, I do recognize the doctrine in, in polytheism. I think that is a counterfeiting of the Holy spirit. I think that's, along with the divine essence that people want to introduce with them in polytheism is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the thing you want to be very careful of is the only sin that cannot be forgiven is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be as careful as I can as, as I talk about that sort of aspect. Um, so I would never, I would not call myself, um, the Holy Spirit, the Queen of Heaven. I would just call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. Yeah, definitely a subject you have to be very careful about, right? Never want to uh, cross that threshold of blasphemy. But yeah, it is time for us to do our final giveaway before we move on to the next question for Brother Gary. So before we ask that ne next question to Brother Gary, I will ask a question to everyone in the live chat and the first person first person to get a right answer in the chat will get the last free signed copy of brother gary's book the genesis 6 conspiracy so everyone was really liking the very difficult questions and uh yeah it was a lot of fun it was, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much again, Brother Gary, for offering to give away your books. Uh, so this last one, it's not the most difficult question, but I'll be surprised if everyone knows it off the top of their head. So I'll ask the question now. The first answer in the live stream chat gets the last free copy of the book. So the question is, who is the apostle that replaced 
Judas. Who is the apostle that replaced Judas? What is his name? All right, and with that said, we'll go over to the next question for Brother Gary. This one comes from MJM. Gary, over the course of the last seven years of tribulation, how many raptures will there be, and how many of these raptures will occur in the first half of the seven-year tribulation? Interesting question for sure. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of one rapture. Uh, uh, there are several resurrections. I'm not sure that maybe that's what might be being asked. Um, and there are a number of resurrections, but the question is presented as rapture. So, I, I, you know, as the New Testament talks about rapture, uh, it seems to be a single event that's wrapped around um, a sign and a coming of Jesus. So I would limit it to one rapture. Um, if somebody has uh, verses that would indicate that there would be multiple, I would love to have a look at that. But I, 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 uh, I've not found one. So I would say just one rapture. Awesome. Thank you very much. That one, next question comes from Victor. Did the serpent temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden precede or trigger the war in heaven? Well, I think some people subscribe to that or that the war in heaven or the rebellion that's led by Satan uh, would have happened you know, in or around that time. Uh, so the question gets to be is um, sort of the time frame in terms of what we know about the information. When does the Eden account happen? And so if it would be thought of, let's say, as day, as part of day six, then it would have been a rebellion that would have happened according and according to a lot of uh, ancient Judean thought is, is at the time of the separation of the waters. Is, is the time of the rebellion based on a, a sort of a six-day uh, creation. So I'm not convinced of that, though. Um, I think it's possible that the angelic rebellion happened just before uh, Satan um, entered in, into the garden. But, you know, with Satan, he had wide travels, and seemingly, as Ezekiel 28 is talking about, and Isaiah 14 and other passages is there seems to have been a time when he was still acting in his perfection and uh, and doing these travels and it's these travels and his wisdom and his beauty over that period of time gradually corrupted him that started the whole convincing of other angels to rebel with him to have a realm of their own so when I look at that sort of aspect of it, I would say it requires a little bit more time than happening in, 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 in that period. Now you could say, but a day is a thousand years. I get that. Um, but I think if it happens just before Eden or the time of Eden, then I would say that Eden, uh, and, and I subscribe to this because there's too many differences between the Eden account and day six, and if you want those differences, I got to have a document on it. Get a hold of me through my website, and I'll I'll send you the document. I think there's two different creations there, so that's not necessarily day eight. We're not told about a day eight. It could happen in the Eden account any time after day seven, um, and it could be thousands of years for all we know. 
And then there's a sort of a thought process, and I think the angelic rebellion kind of fits best in in the gap theory or the renewal of the earth, as I like to call it, where between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, uh, you can translate those passages going forward as two different ways. One, that the earth was form and uh, void and formless, or it became void and formless. And that tuhu and boohoo for void and, and formless or without form um, are indicating by its Hebrew definitions that it had become destroyed as opposed to was created as a, as a chaos. And so that the earth would have been destroyed down to its foundations as uh, some of the other passages like in, uh, in, in the book of Job talk about and fits better with when uh, angels are created uh, because they're there at the creation um, in Job uh, 38 four through seven and Psalms 104 gives you a creation of angels before the creation process. And then you get the word of renewal of the earth when the Holy Spirit comes, just as Genesis 1-2 talks about. So I think an angelic rebellion actually fits better there with all of the sort of nuances of the details that we get and that you could translate uh, chapter 1 uh, in two different ways and have a great document that walks through the other translation if people want. And, uh, and, and I get a lot of positive response to it. And I think that the earth would have been destroyed in the angelic rebellion down to the pillars, down to the foundations of the earth. And then that's why there's a renewal of the earth that Psalms 104 talks about. And I think that this destruction is, is what is being talked about in the book of Peter when it's talking about the earth that was in water and then out of the water, and then there will be another destruction like fire as was in the beginning. Well, that's talking about the absolute beginning when you have this destruction between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 that I think is the weaponry of the angels that destroy the world that has to be completely sort of recreated. And I know people will also look at, well, you know, uh, Exodus uh, 20 talks about the six days of creation and it has the heaven and earth that are created then. It does say that. But I think that's part of the renewal because heaven can be defined as within the firmament and the universe outside the firmament. And then the third heaven is, is where God dwells and the angels dwell and the word and uh, the Holy Spirit. And so... In Genesis 1, the firmament is called heaven. So that fits to me perfectly with uh, the other possible translations. So uh, I think the uh, approach of the Nakash in, in Eden, um, whether or not Satan is coaching the Nakash or he is avataring it as the avatar, just as he entered Judas, we're told it's the serpent, it's the Nakash, and it's the Nakash that is going to suffer the punishment. So I think it is uh, an actual serpentine type of being that is following, as the people of day six were, the, the, the pantheon of the, the gods. So I think that that is a consequence of God creating Adam for a special commission and a special creation that will end the angelic rebellion. And that, in what I talk about in chapter 13 of, of the first book, is 
the first of Satan's revenge. And he's going to do other revenges throughout our history. But that was the first one is to try and ensure that the Adamites uh, do not choose their destiny and are not able to be uh, raised up to be like angels and to judge the angels for the crimes against creation and the crimes against humanity. I'm not doctrinal on the timing of 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 uh, satan's rebellion i just when i look at all the details i find a older rebellion fits the details of the bible better for me excellent thank you very much for that answer next question comes from chris and we have about five minutes left so let's try to get through this i don't think it'll take too long to answer chris asked is it true that barb Barbello is the Kabbalistic goddess. Is this why so many are cautious about the feminine Holy Spirit? Well, Barbello is only as it's adopted into Kabbalism. It actually comes out of Gnosticism. And it's equivalent to uh, Sophia or an offspring of S Sophia as, as some... Uh, some uh, texts also sort of state, but Barbello is the Gnostic uh, equivalent of Sophia within Gnosticism. So I've read, uh, I'm not real deep on Barbello in terms of uh, extensive knowledge. I only know I came across it, found it surprising, did a little bit of research and found it's probably the, the same uh, goddess as Sophia. And so as the goddess of wisdom, it starts to sort of make some sense. And in polytheism, one needs to sort of understand that gods have many titles and names. So they can be listed as the same god or goddess. Um, and the different name will reflect within the same um, language, just a different title. Uh, just as Satan is thought to have many sort of names. Some people think Gadrael is as is, is meaning wall of God or God's wall is, is called as the one that was in, in Eden in the book of Enoch is one of Satan's names. Just as Halel in Isaiah 14, 12, when it has uh, um, <clears throat> Halel ben Shakar, Halel son of the morning, that's thought to have been one of Satan's original, or at least I conclude it's one of Satan's original names or titles before he was degraded to Satan's status. So it's not uncommon. And then different languages, they can be talking about the same God, but will have a completely different name, but the position is the same and the authority and, and what they do is, is the same thing. Excellent. Thank you so much for all of the answers. Thank you, everybody, for joining for all of the great questions that you've had tonight. We had such a fun time and uh, really great answers, great information that you covered, Brother Gary. Uh, we got through quite a few questions, and we still have 18 questions uh, from the live <laughs> question list tonight. So we will be rolling these questions over to next month. So please do join us. I will us. have to be efficient next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got through about 20 questions tonight. So hopefully we'll be able to get through those and then also uh, a few live stream questions next month. But always a great time. Also, tonight I took up a lot of the uh, the time doing the giveaway. So thank you for your patience as we did that. And also thank you again for offering the to give away six of your books. That's really uh, an amazing treat for the audience as we know that your books are full of amazing information. 
Well, we really just greatly appreciate that. And lastly, before we leave, could you please let everyone know one more time where they could get a copy of your book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, if they did not win one tonight? Yes. If you would like to get a, a, a signed copy from me, uh, go to my website. That's the Genesis 6 Conspiracy.com. That's Genesis 6 with the number 6 Conspiracy.com. And uh, on the website, there is a buy. Uh, now icon to click on and that'll take you over to uh, some choices where you can click on buy from the author uh, is one of those and three pages will come up I have a page for Canada I have a page for the US and for uh, what I call overseas so anywhere outside of the US and Canada there's a page for those international uh, purchasers as well and uh, you can get a signed copy by uh, purchasing through one of those pages you can also Click over to Kindle to get the digital version from the Buy Now page. You can also click over to barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and amazon.ca. So that is the easiest way and the fastest way to give you some options on how to get a hold of my book. And I am happy any way that you would like to purchase the book. And we greatly appreciate everybody for joining and for your support. Even if you did win a copy of Brother Gary's book, consider uh, ordering another one, and then uh, we can group those together, and you can give one to your local library, uh, where maybe a, an unknown bystander will be blessed by all of that awesome information that is in there. So definitely looking forward to next month, Brother Gary. We will see you then. Thank you so much for joining again. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tammy and Hebrew Hawaiian, for moderating tonight. It's been really awesome, and uh, yeah, I, I have been monitoring the chat. I've got a running list now of 19 questions that we'll be rolling over wow. to next month. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and uh, only five months until we meet you in person for the conference. You Absolutely. can get your tickets at sacredwordrevealed.com. Get your early bird tickets now, and there's also live streaming tickets available for a donation of any amount, so you can give a penny and get access to the live streams over there. Uh, but, yep, that's the uh, end of the show for tonight. Thank you so much, everyone, again. And we'll see you next month. Brother Gary, shalom, and peace. On May 26 through 28, 2023, Sacred Word Revealed comes to Atlanta, Georgia. Purpose to unveil esoteric controversies. Conflicts abound in this final generation. After many millennia of deceptive propaganda replacing truth, that's why we must join together as a remnant to sharpen one another as iron sharpeneth iron. To test all things and to declare together openly, the Messiah is Adonai. Get your tickets now at sacredwordrevealed.com and join us for another exciting, rejuvenating, and challenging weekend of worship, fellowship, and discussion with the truth-seeking community.